You're listening to An Educated Guest, a podcast that brings together great minds in higher ed to delve deeper into the innovations and trends guiding the future of education and careers. Hosted by the president of Wiley Education Services, Todd Zipper. Hello, I am Todd Zipper and I am the host of An Educated Guest. On today's show, I speak with Dr. Angela Kersenbrock, president of the Community College Baccalaureate Association or CCBA. Angela received her undergrad and master's degrees in nursing and worked in that field for years. She then took the leap into higher ed. An accomplished educator with experience at the associates, bachelor, master's, and doctoral levels, she recently retired after 34 years at Seminole State College in Florida. There, she was a tenured faculty member, department chair, dean, and the associate vice president of the School of Business, Health, and Public Safety. In her role, Angela is focused on leading the CCBA in its mission of developing workforce baccalaureates that result in family-sustaining careers. On today's show, Angela and I discuss the dynamic and critical relationship between higher education and industry and the communities that they serve. We also dive into how the CCBA is supporting institutions and associations with efforts to increase the number of states allowing community colleges to offer baccalaureate degrees, thus increasing access to baccalaureate degrees for learners who may not otherwise have access. We touch on the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic had on those without baccalaureate degrees and how legislators, industries, and communities are responding to this impact. Finally, we talk about the concept of family-sustaining careers and innovations on the horizon for community college baccalaureates. Hello, Angela. Thank you for being here today on An Educated Guest. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for inviting me. So let's jump right in. You held different positions at Seminole State College of Florida for 20 years, and much of that was focused on career and professional programs. Can you talk a little bit about your time there and how you have seen higher ed work hand in hand with workforce development? So I was at Seminole actually for 30 years and some of that time as a faculty member and then moved up or down, as some might say, into administration. So I was primarily initially over nursing and then health and then one of my bosses got this great idea, well, if you can work in nursing, you can certainly do automotive. And then from automotive to IT and engineering and so on. And I think, you know, the common, we talk about what makes these programs good, what makes the program strong and rigorous and fulfill its promises to its students. And I think the biggest is working with industry and having a relationship with industry where you can call each other and talk to each other and And it's not, this is a rubber stamp, hey, we're going to do this curriculum regardless of what an industry member says. And so I think that that is the biggest takeaway. Every program that I had was a workforce-focused program. So every student we had was thinking about my career, my job, my advancement, my work. And in Florida, 90-plus percent of the students stay within a three-county area. And so they were on all likelihood going to work for somebody that that we knew as the college knew, you know. And it's a really dynamic relationship where you're listening to an advisory committee member and they're saying, these are the skills that we really need. You all missed this last year. You've got to get better at this. We work on the curriculum. We'll make the curriculum better. And then the student graduates and goes out there and gets a job. And so then you have feedback from both the student 
this is what I learned. This is what was really helpful. This is what I think we should be doing. And you have feedback from advisory committees. So I think that that is really the most important thing. And when you say, you know, what do you think has changed? I think more and more people are saying, oh, we need to engage with industry. Well, career-focused vocational workforce programs have been engaging with industry since day one. So I'm delighted that that recognition is out there now. But I would say the majority of our faculty, this held true for me also, came out of industry and came and said, you know, I really want to teach. I want to pass on. And so I, I think that that's the engagement with industry that is the most critical thing. Yeah, well, thanks for that. And I think that's a great segue to talking about the main topic of today, which is the community colleges, you know, the innovation around getting into bachelor's degrees, which isn't, it's not something that's new. It's been going on for a couple of decades. And so I read this great quote from you that states, not everyone needs a baccalaureate, but everyone should have the opportunity. So this is really interesting, and I and I think where you're going to go is talking about how it came from the needs of industry and needing that baccalaureate. But we talk about these hot topics of, like you just mentioned, the career-connected education that increasingly becomes how we want to talk about higher ed. And like you mentioned, community colleges have been day one focused on. We also talk a lot about student debt, right? I just read that we're eclipsing 1.6 trillion now of student debt. Certainly an area that community colleges don't contribute as much to when you think about the cost of some of these programs, which are quite incredible in terms of their costs. But I really want to jump into this baccalaureate concept by the way, first you can maybe explain the difference between a bachelor's degree and baccalaureate. Maybe those two things are They're the same. Are the same. Okay, good. One sounds a little fancier than the other. <laughs> Has a lot more vowels. It certainly does. So how did this come about, this innovation, and why do we need it? And why is it gaining speed and momentum right now? Okay, so let's see. So you're right, they've been around for 20 plus years. And why do we need it? So community colleges, their mission is to be responsive to the communities that they live in and also to be responsive to the industries that they serve. And so when industries are saying the world is a lot more complex now than it was in 1896 and we need people that have higher level skills, we need people who can advance. So I think it makes sense. Some of universities and even some community colleges say, well, this is mission creep. No, this is not mission creep. This is being responsive to the changes in our communities. We'll talk about policing for just a second. Policing is so much more complex today than it was 50 years ago. I mean, the complexities that a police officer faces now are very different than they were even 20 years ago. And so that requires a higher level of education. Nursing, healthcare has gotten so much more complex. And the patients that you see in hospitals now are much sicker. If you're in intensive care now, you're really pretty sick. And so as healthcare becomes more and more complicated, then the person who's taking care of you, the nurse, the respiratory therapist, the physical therapist assistant need more and more education. So, you know, I'd like to push against, push back on when people say this is mission creep. No, this is not mission creep. It's that the world is changing. And 
industries are changing and people are changing. I mean, our world is very different now. And so this is one way that community colleges can help respond to that. So let's see, you asked me a three-part question. That was one part. Do you remember what the other parts were? Yes, I think you pretty much answered the questions. It was, why did this innovation come about, which we just hit on, and why is it accelerating today, right? And maybe you can get into, I believe it's something like almost half of all states in America have laws that allow community colleges. It's amazing that they have to be allowed to do something like this, but that are being allowed to do this. And it does seem to be ramping up right now. Sure. So we kind of go through periods, you know, ebbs and flows like everything else. And we're in a period of ramping up right now. And I think that that is community colleges, that's communities, that's legislators, that's industries responding to what we've seen with COVID. It's changed our society. The people who lost jobs, most of those people were people who did not have a baccalaureate degree. That's historical. In the 2008-9, or 7-8-9 Great Recession, the people who lost jobs were folks who did not have baccalaureate degrees. The people who came back and regained employment were those people who had a bachelor's degree. So the bachelor's degree, and I say this all the time, it's not for everybody because people say, well, vocational, you know, people should be able to be a plumber and an electrician, and that's great. But maybe that person wants to own their own plumbing business. And in that case, a bachelor's in business would be very helpful. But I think that the reason politicians, communities, industries are so much more engaged now with community college baccalaureates is because we've seen what this pandemic has done to whole groups of people that haven't been able to go back to work because there isn't a job there. The waitress, the bus driver, you know, all of those people, they were really hurt. And, you know, you can get as much stimulus money as you want, but at the end of the day, people really want jobs. They want meaningful and gainful employment that they're proud of and that that they can take care of their family with. And so, yeah, if somebody wants a bachelor's degree, if their industry requires it, if the person wants to be able to move up, then they should have the opportunity to get a bachelor's degree. And they should be able to get it in their communities. You know, people live in their communities, they work in their communities, they should be able to get their degree in that community. And I told you earlier, this is my favorite subject, so, you know, here we go. And we need the universities to be doing bachelor's degrees and master's and doctor's degrees. We absolutely, I mean, we would not be the country that we are today without our wonderful universities. People sometimes get angry at universities because, you know, they're putting up obstacles to baccalaureates. But, you know, I don't want to do that. I mean, because we really need these universities. But not every student wants to go to the university. Not every student is designed for the university. And some are designed for a smaller environment, a more intimate environment that maybe it doesn't cost as much. Yeah, I want to riff off of what you're talking about and also highlight the research that I'm doing around this idea in California, right? They're going through this pilot program. I think it's been around since 2014. California, massive state. They're projecting a shortage of 1.1 million workers with a bachelor's degree to sustain and grow their state's economy, right? So it seems like they need all the help they can get. And one of the things that I think is really worth talking about is the affordability of these programs. And so I think it was the 
California Legislative's Analyst Office, the LAO, was doing some analysis to show that the average cost was something in the under $11,000 for this bachelor's degree, right? So we're talking about something that is dramatically lower. So let's talk about affordability, right? From an access standpoint, obviously this opens it up in a much different way than a typical four-year institution that is much harder. And then to sort of go off of your point, it seems like it's very, and I know the laws around Arizona that just got approved and even what's going on in California, that it's typically these four-year programs are typically relegated to, like you said, community-driven jobs that are needed, you know, and one was like a bachelor's degree in biomanufacturing, which, you know, which could not be more important than what we're dealing with in today's pandemic. So it seems like really an innovation that we need more of. So any, any thoughts around this? Well, so you're right. We have 24 states right now that have some kind of legislation. And then we also have states within that 24 that are expanding. So Texas just recently expanded that their community colleges could have five. Ohio, they just announced an expansion that their community colleges could have more baccalaureate degrees, particularly nursing. California is going through legislation right now, and I heard from them yesterday, it passed through, they've got a lot of layers there, the assembly, and so it's going on to the Senate Appropriations Committee, so to expand it to all community colleges in the state. And so we see that, You're absolutely correct that we've got whole swaths of population that have been historically excluded from getting baccalaureate degrees, and not by intention, but just because logistics and finances and so many other things. So I think that that is one of the reasons why community college baccalaureates are really starting to expand. I mean, we've heard from other states now that are talking about it, who I never thought would even be discussing community college baccalaureates. So we've had, I think the United States has had a great year this year. Higher education is having a fabulous year in terms of allowing more students access to baccalaureate degrees. And you're talking about the $10,000 baccalaureate degree, which is, that's an incredible thing, but Florida has that, Texas, and now California. I would assume Arizona will also be doing these $10,000 degrees. You know, that makes it within reach. Yeah. And it's interesting how the free college movement is such a politicized issue when we're staring in the face of something that is really close to free. Even I interviewed the president of the University of People, which is a free degree technically, but they actually pay, I think it's like $100 or $150 per assessment. So nothing is ultimately free at the end of the day, and we're sitting staring right into something that could be scaled and something that's really important. I want to highlight a stat that I read from the Community College Research Center because this feels like it's not just driven by market forces of jobs and the needs of hospitals or police departments, like you said, but these students want this. So I read a quote from that center that said 80% of entering community college students indicate they want to earn a bachelor's degree, and yet only 31% of them started within a six-year period when this study was done. So if you just do the math on that, and then you think about how many actually then complete that four-year degree, I mean, we're in the 20 below percent range. And so 
there's a disconnect in the wants and the availability. And so you touched on some of these things, but what do you think some of the friction is? Because obviously the four-year institutions, and we serve them at Wiley to a large degree, they've gone backwards, right? Meaning like they are now a lot of them offering associate degrees, right? And allowing folks to kind of onboard that way, maybe not in the same exact programs, but knowing that there's that demand, what do you think those other friction points are and that allow community colleges by keeping those students in their familiar territory of their community college to sort of finish up? Like, what, what do you think's going on there? I want to just step back a second. So there's some data that's out there and it's used Department of Education and, and it's been repeated a couple of times. It shows the upper quartile, the upper income quartile in the United States, 80% of those students have a bachelor's degree by the time they're 24. Okay. And then the second quartile, it's like 50%. And then it drops way down so that the lowest quartile is like between 8 and 13% of those students get a baccalaureate degree. So, you know, this is one of those, the rich get richer, the rich get more educated, and their children get more educated and richer. So we have this going on. So certainly the people in the in this last two quartiles, they're much more high risk. You know, maybe their families didn't go to college. They don't have somebody who's going to pay for a tutor and and all of these kinds of things. And so you take the student who's most at risk. And then when you say to that student is, okay, you're going to go to the community college. Great. And then as hot as it was to get admitted into college, you're going to have to do it again. You're going to have to try to get admitted again to a university. And by the way, you get applied for financial aid again. You've got to learn a new learning management system all of those things. So we take the person who's least equipped to do that and we make them do it twice. You know, some things just don't make sense. Now, universities, you know, our partners, UCF, Columbus State has done a great job. There's so many places that have done a really great job of smoothing out this articulation pathway. And we want to keep doing that. We want to every day make that easier, 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 smoother, smoother, smoother. But there are still some people who aren't going to jump that. You know, they're not jumping that obstacle for a thousand reasons. And those reasons, you know, the average age of the student in a community college baccalaureate degree is 31. So when you're 31, you might have a car payment, you might have children, you have a job maybe that you're working a lot of hours in so you can afford college. Maybe your job sends you out of town, maybe you're a lineman and now you're going into Georgia because there's a power shortage. There are all these things that... You know, it's kind of like playing whack-a-mole, you know, you get over this one, now there's another one, now there's another one, now your kids got soccer practice and, you know, they're running back and forth and they get laid off and, I mean, it's just life really concentrated to continually interfere with the student completing that baccalaureate degree. And so by being able to stay at the community college, go part-time, online, in the evening or in the weekend, in a class with 24, 30 students, it's completely different. It's completely different, and it really helps the student to try to get through. And many of the community college baccalaureates are forming cohorts, so they form a community within their classroom, you know, with that faculty member, because community college faculty, I love university faculty, you know, I've taught at universities. It's it's fabulous. It's wonderful. But there's pressures to do public service. There's pressures to do research. There's pressures to write grants. The pressure at the community college is help your students succeed. 
So it, it's just a different thing, and we need both systems for sure. We need both systems, but one is not more valuable than the other. But that community college baccalaureate degree to the student who needs that bachelor's degree, who wants to stay in their community, maybe wants to stay in that job, on and on, that bachelor's degree is invaluable. And the community college is one of the ways that they can get there. Yeah, it sounds like there's just a lot of friction for that community college typical graduate at the associate level to get into that bachelor's. I mean, the transfer credit process, like you said, it's there's just all of these different barriers from traveling to a new place if it's an on-ground type program to getting transfer credits and all that goes with that. And you could just see that those obstacles will will certainly make it challenging. If you've tried to transfer, like I've transferred a couple of times, it's never easy, you know, and you've got to be fairly savvy. And somebody who's maybe English is a second language, maybe no one in their family has gone to college, you know, they've got a couple of kids, they've got a car payment, you know, all these things. Now you add that onto it and, you know, we've built a box that they can't get out of and it doesn't help them, doesn't help their families, and it doesn't help our communities and our country. To try to understand the, the scale and, and sort of where we are on the curve of adoption, I read that there's about 20,000 baccalaureate degrees awarded, I think it was in the 2018-2019 school year, according to the American Association of Community Colleges, which compares to, I believe, 2 million bachelor degrees awarded roughly. So we're talking about, if I'm doing my math right, you know, 1% effectively here. So we're barely scratching the surface. So I'd love to get your thoughts on one is where are those, obviously we know the states relatively where, where it's happening. Maybe there's some states like where you are in Florida that are more ahead of the curve, but where are those pockets happening? What are the, you mentioned nursing, you mentioned the police and, and law enforcement, criminal justice. Where do you see other job categories happening and what can we get this number to? Can this get to 200,000? Can get this to 2 million? How are you thinking about that? Okay, so the highest enrolled programs, you know, are um, business, IT, public safety, education, healthcare, nursing. Those are about the highest. And if you take a look at those, those are all the jobs that are in the community. If you left your house and drove five miles, you would run into a hospital, a police station, a fire station, you know, several businesses and all that. So that's where the jobs are. So that's one thing. And, you know, I had a president one time who said, I said, well, we're not doing enough. We're not doing enough. We're not doing enough. And she said, you know the starfish story? Oh, no, I don't know the starfish story. She says, every time you picked up a starfish, throw it back into the ocean, yeah, you may have missed 100 others, but it really mattered to that one. And so those 20,000 students in 18, 2018, 19 who graduated, it really made a difference to 20,000 families. And not just the student who graduated. I had a student who said to me, his name was Carlos, and he said, yeah, this degree is really important for me. It's allowed me to move up and it's allowed me to do this. He said, but the most important thing is it showed my two children that they also can get bachelor's degrees and master's. So that, that multiplication effect, you know, that stone in a pond effect, the ripples of that. So economically, and I probably could have done this before, but it's $20,000 times the average wage is $55,000. So that's a big number for a community. And then if you think about, okay, Carlos's two kids now will go on and get a bachelor's degree. 
those are people who aren't going to be in jail, who aren't going to be on assistance, who are going to live in safer neighborhoods, who they're going to have less crime in their neighborhoods, who are going to be healthier. You know, we never talk about the health cost of not having a degree. You know, there's a cost to that that we don't even think about. Did I go off track here? No, you're you're right on. I just, I was trying to get at your thoughts on when the levy breaks, you know, how do we get from 20,000 to 200,000? Something that the communities that you're talking about here, the underprivileged, the, you know, socioeconomically challenged, this is the area that a lot of society corporations are talking about. There's a solution here. The way you just described it brings it to life. Do you think there's just getting more states on board, showing the success of it? I think I read something like 75% of the students graduate, which is well above the normal four-year rate and certainly above the two-year rate. I mean, that's a huge success story right there. So I'm just trying to understand, you know, what are those pressure points that allow this to really start to scale? Okay. So if we look at that figure from 1819, you know, the 20,000. So if it took those students four years to get their bachelor's degree, which is what it's taking them, right? So that's 2014. There weren't even that many programs in 2014. So now we're doing a big research study with ECMC. And we were thinking, oh, there's 123 schools. Well, we found now 100, and we haven't finished counting. We've counted about 140 colleges now, community colleges that are offering baccalaureate degrees. We thought there were about 200 degrees. There's more like 400 degrees. Hmm. So we're going to see this number really accelerate quickly. I think we're going to get to a million. We are going to get to a million. And I don't think it's going to take that long. And the other thing is more states are coming on. So, you know, we had several states. We had Wyoming. We had Oregon. Washington just is allowing their community college to offer bachelor's in computer science and programming. You know, that didn't happen until right this legislative session, Arizona, Wyoming, California. When all those things happen, and then Pennsylvania is talking about it, New Hampshire is talking about it, when all these other states who are just starting to talk about it happen, the philosophy of the community college is that there should be a community college within 50 miles of every student. So now the philosophy of this community college baccalaureate is there should be a community college baccalaureate degree within 50 miles of every student, and it should be accessible and affordable and all of those. And... Most importantly, and this is the thing that we are really the most proud of, is you're not going to get a degree, you know, community college baccalaureate degree in an area where you can't find a job. You know, that's not going to be the case. So we heard it here, a million, a million baccalaureate degrees from community college. I love it. But this actually bodes the question around cannibalization. And the reason why I bring it up is I've been working in the online education space for 15 years, roughly. And when we work with universities, still to this day, it's one of the top questions that are asked, well, are we going to cannibalize our existing students? You know, if we offer this type of degree, mostly that question is asked when they have that existing degree in an on-campus setting. And we separately have done a study for the last 10 years that continues to say that, you know, it's well above 50% of that student is not going to select that school if the program isn't online. And so I feel like there's a similar analogy here, and maybe you can touch on it a little bit around the learner that goes on to get their baccalaureate at a community college. Is that a concern for that four-year institution of now losing that potential student? Of course, society 
feels like it's better off there with those completion rates, those affordability rates. But it feels like to me, it's a both end and not not a cannibalization play. I want to make sure that I understand your question. So is your question, are we going to be taking away from the universities because now the student won't go to the university? Is that... Yeah. So, and, and it's sort of a two-part question, or I didn't ask the specific question around the resistance to this movement, but when, you know, I've been reading about it, it seems like there's not everybody is on board. And typically it's the four-year institution that's saying, well, we already have public universities that do bachelor's degrees, right? That's the question, right? Is, is ultimately is, do you see this being additive to where you got, remember, we've got those 2 million bachelor's degree graduates every year, and we've got 20,000 here, but if we get to that 1 million, are we looking at 3 million? You know, are we looking at still 2 million? Because some of that resistance is basically saying, well, we already do a good job with bachelor's degrees at public universities. So, you know, no need for that. Okay. And so I always want to say public universities do a great job. We all know that, but the baccalaureate attainment rates in this country are not where they need to be. And so- we don't have enough baccalaureate degrees. So are we gonna have schools that have 600,000 students in them? You know, is that the right answer? I don't think so. And when I speak, because I get to talk to students, a lot of students, what they say is, I was never going to the university. I was never. Or they say, I tried two different universities. It wasn't for me. Or they say, I went to the parking lot. I couldn't get any further. I turned around and went home. So the community college baccalaureate is not just for the student who, I don't ever want to go to a university, but there's thousands and thousands of those. But it's for the student who maybe is a little bit older. You know, they're not interested in football and all these other things. They're really interested in, I want to get this degree. I want to be able to go to work. I want to have a job. I want to stay in my community. And, you know, you were talking about the need for how many more baccalaureate degrees just in California. Well, and I think that's repeated everywhere. You know, Wyoming, you know, they're a small state. They put in community college baccalaureate degrees, but they put it in as part of their economic development goals because they have a vision for what their state could be. And they realize we need more people with baccalaureate degrees to make that happen. So I think it's a bigger picture than, I don't worry about cannibalization. I mean, if the worst thing happens is we have so many well-educated people with great jobs, good for me, I I think, right? Yes, absolutely. And expanding, I mean, we we haven't sort of hit it that closely, but the student that you're serving is, like you said, the bottom 50% or bottom quartile that need this the most. Like when you talked about the pandemic or the Great Recession, they were the hardest hit, the non-bachelor market, looking at that vector of things. So in just going from the resistance of the movement to the reality is that you need to legislate here to get these things into operation. Can you talk a little bit about the Community College Baccalaureate Association that you run and the work that you're doing there to sort of go from 24 or 26 states, wherever we are right now, to 50? I told my board I wasn't going to retire until we hit 50. So I could be here for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Or they may like, really, let's get on this. We've got to get rid of her. So we've been in existence for 21 years. And what we do as an organization is we support colleges that want to do baccalaureate degrees, we support associations. So the Community College Association of Illinois, of Pennsylvania, of Ohio, we support them. We give them data. 
We provide examples. We tell them who we think the experts are in this field and that field. So we do those things. We do professional development. We bring people together to, to talk about ideas. And this is hard work. You know, it's hard work to get it through your legislative body. It's hard work to create the rules around it. It's hard work to make sure you have a good baccalaureate accountability process that makes sure that baccalaureate programs are delivering on the promises that they said they were going to do. So we provide support whenever somebody asks us. We provide support when people don't ask us because we we want to be helpful. But I think the most important thing is being able to sit down, call someone and say, this is what we're trying to do. How can you help? The most important thing, I think, from the legislative perspective are two things. One is really good data. That is really key for legislators to have really good data because if they are going to oppose a university where maybe they went to school and they've got great tickets for football or something, you know, they've got to have good data. And we're always trying to position this as a, this is a win for you. This is a win for the university. This is a win for the community college. This is a win for the students. Because so many of the students go on for a master's degree. So many of the faculty now go on and get a doctoral degree. And so it elevates everybody's game. So we work with that. We create partnerships with universities to offer those doctorate degrees. We help put two schools together, a university and a community college. So they were doing a Bachelor of Science in Nursing and then created like a joint Bachelor of Science and a Master's of Science in Nursing. We did another one where an MBA program went onto the community college campus and worked with the students who were getting their bachelor's degree and many of them. Then, I think 29 in one year, got an MBA from Lynn University. So we do a lot of different things like that, trying to be helpful every way we can. So that is what we do as an organization. We hold a conference every year, and we, we're just going to announce that probably the next two couple of, I guess Monday we'll announce it. It's going to be February in Phoenix, which is a great time to be in Phoenix, but it's going to be relaxed and we're really going to encourage interaction and engagement and all of these things. Do you think that the federal, you know, the Department of Education could step in here and do some things to accelerate this trend? It seems like it's happening locally and through state legislatures, but obviously the federal's got something called financial aid that they could wield around. What are you thinking on that front? I think that's really a good point. I love when stuff happens grassroots in a community. I think as long as the financial aid processes work for students that are in community college baccalaureate degrees, I think that that's a great thing. And it does. It works really well. So we don't see any problems there. The feds are getting into short-term certificate training, and that's fine because we think a lot of our bachelor degrees are laddered approach, credential, you know, building credentials as you go. And, you know, that's something that I have. So I, I believe in those things. So I think the feds are doing what they can. We have more national organizations that are coming out supporting community college baccalaureate degrees. Maybe I can get Jill Biden to come speak at our conference. Do you know her, Todd, by any chance? I don't, but uh, I I hear she's a fan of community colleges. Yeah, I hear she she likes them. You know, that doesn't hurt either. Of course, that doesn't hurt either. But I think the most beautiful thing is when industries start talking to the college and also start talking to legislators, and then the legislators start moving and making it happen in concert with the college presidents and the associations, because then it's not another thing coming down from Washington, you know, which 
are always unfunded mandates. Here we have to do this again. But when it's coming grassroots from your communities, those are the things that really stay. You know, I was in education for 30 plus years and we had so many unfunded mandates and they came and they went. And, you know, I got to the point where I was like, I'm not going to worry about this because in two years it's going to be gone. And that is what happens. But when it comes out of the community, when it grows out of community need, out of student need in your community, I think those things have a lot of staying power. Yeah. So talking about momentum, you know, the pandemic accelerated a lot of different trends across the economy, certainly in education, certainly around virtual and online education. How do you think the pandemic impacted this baccalaureate movement? You know, there's a quote in this grant that Deb Bragg and I wrote that the pandemic laid bare the inequalities of this country's economy. And I think that that's true. You know, when you live in an inner city and you you can't get to the university for a degree, you know, that's a problem. And if you can get there, you know, you don't have the skills to really be successful or just give up or it's too expensive or you don't see people in the classroom or in front of the classroom that look like you. Those things create obstacles for people. So I think the pandemic really brought home who lost their jobs and it wasn't folks with bachelor's and master's and certainly not doctor degrees. It wasn't people who had really good current skills. You know, they weren't IT people. It was people who really are more blue collar, who really suffer the most in these kinds of things. And so I think that that and the need for nurses and the need for first responders and the need for all kinds of folks, IT Zoom and all of these things, online learning, it just exploded. And so I think it just said, hey, we've got a different economy here, the work from home economy. And we need everybody to be able to participate. And we've got huge numbers of people who are living paycheck to paycheck or not even paycheck to paycheck that need a better way, that need, you know, family sustaining wages, which they don't have. And so how do we work together to make that happen? And there were cheerleaders in the background yelling, community college baccalaureates, community college baccalaureates. In Wyoming, that's a great example, you know, their coal industry, you know, was severely hurt, not in right or wrong. So I'm not casting judgment on that. But because of that, Wyoming realized we've got to change our economy. This is not working what we're doing here. And so what are we going to change it to? And how do we get those people? Community College Baccalaureates is one of the answers that they came up with. And so they're putting those degrees in their community colleges. And we never really talked today about the rural areas. So a community makes an investment in a student from pre-K all the way through high school, health care, home, school, all those things. And then what do they do? They leave O'Neill, Nebraska, or Sheridan, Wyoming, I don't know the towns. They leave, they go to the university, they go to Lincoln, and they never go back home. And so this community, the town fathers and mothers, have made an investment in this student and the student doesn't come back. And so, yes, it was a great investment, but they really didn't get the payoff that they need. This rural brain drain is happening. And so community college baccalaureates is another way of keeping people in those rural communities, helping them get the kind of skills they need to be able to survive and thrive economically in those communities. Another huge benefit that you're talking about, because I'm sure they'd love to remain where they grew up and their families are still. So that's, some that's do, really and interesting. And some don't, but the ones right. who really want to, 
should have a way. I mean, if a student is saying, there's nothing here for me, I can't raise a family here, I can't get a job here, then that's a problem for that community. And that community needs to make a choice. We're either going to do something to keep these people here, or we're going to accept the idea that we're going to slowly die. Yeah, it's amazing how vibrant universities just create this ecosystem that becomes self-sustaining and a self-fulfilling prophecy in a good way. The opposite of that is certainly not a good thing. You mentioned a really interesting term, you know, family sustaining wages. I've heard you talk about family sustaining careers. Could you just touch on that a little bit? Because it's a real, it, it really resonates. You know, I wish I, I made that up and maybe I'll convince myself that I did it, but I don't remember where, where I got it. And it could have been from a student, but people need to make enough that they can have a family, that they can get their children into a zip code where the schools are good, you know, where there are sidewalks. I mean, nobody gets a bachelor's degree and then decides I'm going to go in a community that's got a D-rated school, right? you know, and windows are broken. I mean, you want to give people a chance to make themselves better, and they can do that if we give people the tools and certainly not make it easy for people because it's not easy to get a bachelor's degree, but at least give them the opportunity. So these family sustaining wages is, you know, I had this thing like, listen, we're not going to start any workforce programs that keep people in poverty. We want to keep put people into family sustaining wages. You don't want to go to school for, you know, a year, incur all this debt and become a medical assistant at $8 an hour. That's a problem. You know, that's a real problem. That woman or man who's making $8 an hour is not going to be able to care for their children financially the way they need to or the way we all want them to. And so that's what family sustaining wages are all about, you know, helping people make enough money, making good choices, you know. Absolutely. So before we wrap up, is there any innovations that you're seeing within your association and your travels and all this rich experience you have in the higher ed community at large that has your attention today? in addition to this baccalaureate movement you're, you're really pushing? Let's see, I think, you know, online, we've been doing, baccalaureate degrees have been doing online for a long time. I think that that's a really strong innovation that's going to continue. I think this working with industries, I think that's so important. I think helping students make decisions, don't just pick a degree, you know, where you can't, and I think we're, we're doing that now. So, hey, if you go to the University of Miami, it's going to cost you whatever, $150,000, and you're going to get a degree in, I don't know, flower arranging or something, family sustaining wages, that is not going to be good for you. So I think we're seeing more accountability. And I think the push for completions for colleges to have performance metrics, I think that's a really good thing. So I think those are some of the things. I think that's great. I'm glad you just mentioned that college having performance metrics. I've talked about this before, that there's not enough transparency on what it is that the college or the program is set out to do and the student and how is it actually performing? <laughs> are there salaries at the end of this rainbow that justify the cost or people completing? All that stuff you'd expect out of the metrics. Yeah. And, you know, the metrics are hard. You know, it's, Gosh, I hope I don't offend anybody. So edit me out if I offend somebody. But <laughs> it's not that hard to teach an A student. You know, somebody who walks into your classroom, they got a 1380 on the SATs. They're not that hard to teach. But somebody who's just coming up through developmental education, English, you know, or math, you're going to have to work a lot harder with that student, even if they're completely motivated, 
to get them across that finish line. And I think we don't recognize that. It's much harder to do that. And that's why community colleges have smaller class sizes. But I do think that the performance metrics forces colleges, like what's our dashboard? How many students complete English one? How many students are completing general biology? What can we do? You know, if it's 58%, what do we do with the others? And how do we make that happen? We can't just flush them out. And that's not a community college mindset at all. I mean, we were calling students. You're not back. Where are you? You aren't in class this week. What's going on? Oh, my babysitter didn't show up. Or, Or you just cannot even imagine. Todd, you should teach at a community college for one semester. And you just not. It's people that are going through the same things that you and I are going through without the resources maybe to back it up. That's fair, and I appreciate that perspective. So to conclude here, I ask this of all my guests, and it's one of our core values at Wiley. We love education, and we all have learning champions that have helped us throughout our way. So I guess I would ask you, who has been a learning champion for you, and how has that person helped you in your life? I'm really lucky because I had so many. You know, so I'm first time in college, first gen, and, you know, I grew up, like, downtown inner city, and didn't think, you know, I was really going to go to college. And I had a, an aunt who really wasn't even an aunt. But if you know Italians, we think everybody's an aunt, an uncle, and a cousin who was really insistent, no, you have got to go to college. You've got to do this. This is my Aunt Edna. That was the first time I kind of thought, well, yeah, I better do that. And I think if it hadn't been for her, I'm not sure what I would have done. So I think, you know, she was a learning champion for me, and she was a teacher. And she was a teacher. So her, I've had some fantastic people, colleagues, people that I reported to who taught me more than I could ever even pay back. But I've just been so lucky on that and that way, you know. But you also have to be curious and be willing to listen. Absolutely. Well, Angela, thank you so much for joining me today and being a, a guest with me on An Educated Guest. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to An Educated Guest on your listening platform so you don't miss the latest episodes. For more information on Wiley Education Services, please visit edservices.wiley.com. 